Today's edition of the Roma Press Podcast, as always, is brought to you by Euro Fantasy League. For fantasy online football, regardless of which league you prefer, if you prefer multi-league games, Serie A, Premier League, La Liga, make sure that you go to EuroFantasyLeague.com or try their new Champions League game at Fantasy-Champions-League.com. Again, Fantasy-Champions-League.com. Welcome to the Roma Press Podcast with John Solano. Hello again, welcome back to another edition of the Roma Press Podcast. I'm Roma Press Editor John Solano. So not going to waste any time, going to just jump right into it all. Um, I have Andy with me to preview Roma Lazio, the latest installment of the Derby della Capitale. And then I'm going to bring on David Amoyel to discuss Roma, the moment that they're in, uh, a little bit of their finances. Um, David is, as you well know, I'm sure many of you follow him as well. You can find him at David Amoyel on Twitter. He also is the host of the Couch Land podcast. You can also find him on ESPN Talk Sport. He also writes for Euro Fantasy League, and you can find him at a variety of places as well. So before I bring Andy on, have to mention our two newest patrons of the podcast. First, I have to mention Angelo, who is at AS Roma Guy. Angelo, thank you so much for your support. And also John, who you can find at John Fatty12. So J-O-H-N-F-A-T-T-Y-1-2 on Twitter. Thank you both for your support of the podcast and for becoming our newest patron. If you would like to become a patron of the Roma Press podcast and the website, go to romapress.us under the support tab or go to patreon.com slash romapress. Um, again, this wouldn't be possible without you guys. And what this does is help alleviate some of the costs that it takes to run a podcast and website, all the software, the web hosting, all that stuff. Again, I do this strictly on my own and I went into it, you know, blind, very ignorant of everything it takes to make a functioning website and podcast. So again, thank you for all those of you who have become patrons. I appreciate your support. So let's get into it now with Andy to preview Roma Lazio. All right, Andy is with me now. So we have Roma coming off a very good result against Frozenone, good performance, but obviously coming up against a much more difficult opponent in Lazio. Um, Andy, what are you what are you expecting for this? Well, um, for, first of all, it was a very good performance, which I liked a lot, um, but it was against Frozenone. So surely the same tactics won't get the job done against Lazio. Um, for example, uh, De Rossi will not be able to uh, play the same way he played against Frosinone. Against oh, the this... first half hour was terrible. Oh, yeah. he, he was oh, yeah. horrible. He was horrible and he was losing every every single contrast. And you're going to pl- be playing a team like Lazio, which has a very dense midfield and they're all very physical. 
So there is no way um, the Rossi can be so exposed and lose as many footballs as he did against such a weak team. Um, so definitely that. I mean, I, I expect Di Francesco to finally adjust to the opponent, not uh, come out, you know, swinging a weird formation. I want some sensible answers from him, uh, a, a formation that makes sense and that reflects the opponent that we are uh, about to play against because he usually doesn't do that. Um, that's his biggest fault, I think, that he doesn't really adjust to a particular team. So tomorrow, um, we're facing a very well-organized, very well-oiled uh, machine uh, led by a very good coach. So, you know, let's not forget that. Yeah, and the thing that most concerns me is, you know, the thing that we criticized Roma for last season was the lack of depth, particularly in the midfield. It looks like Di Francesco is more than likely going to use a 4-2-3-1, which I've been a big proponent of because, in my opinion, I think it brings out the best in Pastore, it brings out the best in Nzonzi, it brings out the best in De Rossi. But the thing that worries me pretty greatly is, other than Nzonzi and De Rossi, there is nobody else to fulfill those roles. True. And, and yeah, yeah, that's true. It's something that he's going to continue with. Um, I mean, Cristante cannot play there. Pellegrini... Uh, I mean, maybe. Uh, Chodic, obviously he cannot. Pastore, obviously cannot. So if 4-2-3-1 is the way forward, if he wants to get rid, essentially, of his 4-3-3, I mean, there's no depth there at all, and it's very, very concerning. It's it's true. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably the most likely one to adapt to that system is Pellegrini, just because right. he... He played with Strotman last year when De Rossi was injured and they had to put Strotman as the uh, central midfielder and they put um, Pellegrini next to him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that from what I, I, I like the Frosinone game, but it also showed that we tend to get very sloppy in the midfield and we... Thankfully, it was it was a very bad team, and um, but against a team like Lazio, uh, you know where the spaces are going to be very tight, and I don't I don't like the thought of having two very static players um, playing against the team, which will have probably five midfielders. Um, therefore, they will have five guys running around, um, just. Just completely being because Lats is very physical always. Um, right. They they foul a lot. Uh, you know they do they played it a little bit dirty. Um, I I really don't know how uh, how Nzonzi and De Rossi will um, respond to that. I also think that's why Di Francesco is thinking of inserting Florenzi as the so-called winger, which I don't really think uh, he's going to be playing like a winger. I think he's going to be a bit, um, he's going to drop back into a more midfielder role. Right. Um, but yeah, that's my biggest worry. I, I'm afraid that without the lack of pace in the middle, we're, we're going to suffer a lot against such a, 
just a high velocity physical team. Yeah, I agree. The midfield is a concern. I have to say, though, I was really, I, I felt a lot better about the attack. The attack has looked disjointed. They've looked um, undermanned, so to speak. They didn't look like they had answers. You mentioned this a couple of podcasts ago. I really hope this is the start of something good for Under because he was the best player on the pitch, yeah. I, in my opinion, by miles, by by absolute miles. Um, his dribbling went sensational. That finish was top class. The assist he had to El Shadawi for the tap-in. I mean, I, I they just seem like such a different team when he plays like that. And when he plays like that, um, to me, Jekyll also plays better because it draws attention away from him. Under turns into a goal-scoring threat, and I just feel like the the attack is just so much more fluid when Under is playing like that. That, that's why I'm also worried that, you know, in the probable formations for tomorrow, Wunder is not in the starting lineup. Um, uh, that's, I mean, Paginero Manista gave this lineup where Florence is the winger and Wunder is not in the starting lineup, which I'm really worried about because uh, exactly, I mean, he is the guy that when he said it himself after the match that he just needs a goal and then he... He, he frees his mind and he, he can do whatever he wants to do. And again, you know, we're, we're going to be tomorrow. I don't believe we're going to be dominating the game. I think Lazio will be um, pushing forward and we'll just stay back and then maybe hit them on the counter. And that's when you want a player like Under, especially when he's, he's in form, uh, to be playing. Um, I also thought that just the whole attack against Frosinone looked great. Um, I also didn't mind. I know a lot of people were disappointed and um, I know you were too and I was too because he didn't score but Schick has this thing that he can, he, he his off-ball movements are so great. I mean, yeah, like, I, was, if, I was just going to mention that. Yeah, I mean, if you watch those goals, on two occasions, uh, I think it was the Pastore goal and the uh, final color off, he, he completely clears the path for Pastore to get in, for Under to get in, for El Sharawi. He draws so much, much attention. He moves behind the defenders, just completely sucks in the defense. So you free up the space, and that's why you, you had those beautiful triangles between Unter, Pastore, El Sharawi. I mean, they were doing whatever they wanted to do, um, not because they were so much better than the opposition, but because they had so much space. Um, because Schick, you know, okay, he, he mentally, he doesn't seem uh, at all uh, comfortable. And uh, he's definitely not been a, a, such a big factor so far for Roma. But whenever he plays, um, he just his movements, his spacing is is so great for the team. It just offers so many more chances. That I mean, if you watch, for example, the game against Spal last year, that same thing happened. We won three to nothing, and we were creating so much, and the offense was flowing beautifully, and it was quick. It wasn't stagnant. We didn't rely on the wingers, um, as someone pointed out on on Twitter. Uh, against Frosinone, we only got in 11 crosses. 
which for Roma is great if you can if you can play vertically and uh, instead of passing it to Kolarov or passing it to uh, someone on the wing and then dropping the most predictable cross if you can avoid doing that then you're just that much of a of a threat you know it's um i i want to see roma do that even against a team like lazio i really want to see that yeah i you know with with Schick, you know the 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 only thing that was missing from that performance was a goal he hit the post he missed a couple of chances and to me that has strictly to do with confidence in my opinion i don't think it has anything to do with ability you could just if you panned on him after he hit the post they panned in on his face and he just looked like someone from his family was murdered i i mean you felt so bad for him and terrible he deserved the goal he should have scored a goal and you know i i always say I always tweet about him. You know, there's a lot that he can learn from Jekko when Jekko does certain things on the pitch. But I'll tell you what, the the runs that he makes in between the lines are, are sensational. The way he times it, Jekko doesn't come anywhere near to Shea's no. ability to to create and make runs like that. And if he could just find a way to, to – to, he's just missing the end product. Everything else he has. I mean, he does, I mean, even his dribbling is, for someone of his height, is sensational. And he's really only missing the end product. Yeah, and I think it's also it's also big big thanks to Giampaolo. Giampaolo, Giampaolo's players always do that. And in, in fact, if you watch the Frel right now, he he basically bases his whole uh, game on off ball movements. And Schick can do that. I want Roma to exploit those capabilities because it's Jeko is great. Jeko is a world class striker. He's saved us so many times, but he, you have to play for him. He's very ball dependent. Right. Uh, and you often see him, he gets mad. If someone doesn't pass him the ball, he, he's so pissed off. And sometimes he, he's even capable of taking the ball from uh, his own uh, teammates' feet. Um, and, and Sheik doesn't have that. Sheik is very, very altruistic. He just lets the action flow and he just provides so like the, the pastore was finally able to do whatever he wanted to do because he had three guys just running in different directions and he could just play the pass forward and you know it, it was just so unpredictable it was fun it was fun watching roma play against frosinone and, and and you know you expect them to do the same against the better team but you you have to exploit that ability. I know Schick is not scoring. I know Jack is is the better player right now, but somehow you have to insert him into that starting lineup. You have to give th- this kid confidence. I mean, after all, Jacko did terrible the first season, and you still kept him in the starting lineup, and he was still the star player of the team. So just if we could manage to get the best out of Schick. I think this team would be great if they kept doing that. Yeah, and he's sort of like Under in the sense that once he scores a goal, you can almost see it in in his mannerisms, the way he plays. He just looks happier. He plays um, a little more less tight, and I feel like he's just missing that goal. I mean, we saw what happened 
towards the end of last season, the last month, he was sensational. He scored a goal in his next three or four matches were absolute class in terms of uh, performance. And I feel like he's another one. If, if he can just get a goal somehow, it would just free him up so much. Yeah, I mean, I it, that's why I really would like De Francesco to just start regularly putting him on the starting uh, lineup against these smaller teams. You know, even if he doesn't score the first time, put him back in against another weaker team. Just give him some sort of consistent, you know, uh, starting spot. Give him some motivation. Once he gets going, really, I mean, it was it was a whole other attack. It didn't, you didn't have that whole thing about, you know, Jack is great for holding up the play, uh, for scoring some fantastic goals, but you have to pass him. In order to score, you always have to get through Jeko. And right. against Frosinone, we didn't have that. I mean, El Sharawi looked fantastic. Pastore was constantly threatening the goal. Um, Under was phenomenal. Even Santon looked good when he was getting uh, forward. It, it just looked like a different team because the, the 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 spacing forward was just opening up, and you didn't have those boring lateral passes and crosses in and out. Just completely different team. Yeah, and the people. I mean, granted, I I don't want to make too much of a a, a smackdown of Frozen on it, but. I mean, the people who shit on, on, on Monchi bringing in Pastore, I mean, that's the kind of stuff Pastore can do. He can dribble the ball into the final third. He can get it into the other team's area. He can create a killer pass. He can run in between the lines. I mean, if he plays like he did against Frozenone, I don't know how anybody could, could criticize Monchi anymore for bringing him in. I mean, he was, he was sensational. You know, sensational. And you just, and the simplicity, like, just, just no. You know, every it was like watching a, a, a Totti-like player. You know, those players right. that can just make something out of nothing with a simple pass um, because we lack that. Every other player that we have needs to have at least two, three touches before he can um, do anything. I mean, De Rossi sometimes can give, give a nice pass. And in fact, I think the pass to Santon, which led to the assist for Pastore, which was the Rossi's... Um, but aside from that, every every player that we have is very static, very conservative, and Pastor is just so unpredictable. And if he can play like that against a, a, a solid uh, team like Lazio, I mean, then we should be very happy about this purchase. I, you know, again, it all depends how the what the formation looks like tomorrow, um, what the philosophy is. Is it are we going to go forward or should we stay and attack on the counter? Uh, it all depends from that, but he was fantastic. Yeah, I thought he was really good. So our our good friend Sandro Alstini, he put out that it'll be a 4-2-3-1 with Olsen, Santan, Manolas, Fazio, Kolarov at the back, and Zonze, De Rossi in the midfield, Florenzi, Pastore, El Sharawi, Dzeko in attack. Um So with that in mind, I'm not going to doubt him because he's generally correct. Um what do you make of that formation? Because you mentioned Lazio's midfield, while not technically or tactically very sound, um, you know, they are very physical and that's what they rely on. Um, 
So I, I am a bit worried seeing that, aren't you? Yeah, they play. I don't know if they. I think they still played with a three-five-two. Correct. And yeah, every player they have in the midfield, you know, they don't have world-class players, but they can build a, a really solid unit. And the the defense is their weakest link. The, we have to exploit somehow the defense. But the midfield, that's why I think he put Florenzi in there. And that's why I, put, I think he put Santon in there because Santon will provide the defensive coverage. And I think um, Florenzi will drop back into the midfield. Perhaps even Kolarov will move forward. Um, if someone noticed against Frosinone, Kolarov in the final minutes when he got that beautiful goal, uh, he was playing as a as a midfielder, midfielder um, yeah. yeah and I didn't I, I thought he was doing pretty well um, but yeah I mean I, I think that that's why he's not putting under in because he was he wants experience and physicality um, with under I don't think you get that I think he would be pretty ineffective against uh, such a so because Lazio, whenever they get uh, cornered, they they just drop back everybody into the six yard box. The, basically, the whole teams the whole team goes um, drops back. So you're facing a, a, an opponent that is basically a tank. And I would love to see Under start because he looked great in Frosinone, and we all know what he's capable of. But Perhaps this is the most reasonable uh, alternative, you know, having Florenzi play sort of winger, sort of midfielder, kind of like he did for Conte. I don't know. What do you think, John? Yeah, I um, I, I just think it's a big risk putting Florenzi mm -hmm. in a different role. I mean, I, I everybody knows my disdain for him. I don't think Florenzi is... A right back. I think he was done a, a massive disservice when he was changed from a midfielder to a right back strictly out of Mike Conn being injured. And I think that completely altered his career because yeah. I, I still remember that season um, under Zeman, and that was just incredible. I, 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 I remember his goal against Inter, that headed goal. Um, yeah. Now he isn't bad in attack, um, but again, I, I just can't imagine he's going to have much of an attacking role. To me, um, this looks almost more like a uh, like a not even I, I wouldn't even call it a four three three. I would say almost like a four five one four four two almost. Um, so I, I'll be curious to see what they do. So what what's your prediction for this? Because for me, this is one of those matches where there's two routes it could go if it if it goes the right way for roma i i feel like they could go on a nice little uh a streak here of victories whereas i feel like if they lose this could be just an implosion of the season well yeah i mean i still think everybody now um the whole italian media are putting uh, rumors of you know Di francesco uh possibly getting fired aside but this is a big game. This game matters. Frosinone was, you know, get the job done. But tomorrow is very important. You're not, you're facing a good team. Um, it's the derby. Everybody's watching. 
I think exactly like you said. I mean, this is either you know you go all the way, or you go all the all the other way, um, right. the whole other way around, basically, because a, a loss here can first of all put Lazio so much in front. I mean, they they're already uh, ahead of us. Um, I think by like six points. Uh, so that would be extremely bad for the overall table. But Roma, it would just mean that they're just not up to facing this sort of opposition. Because if you can if you can get the job done for, with for, against Frosinone, that's one thing. But you need to show uh, that you can perform against this sort of team, against a team that has a good attack, uh, a good midfield. Um, a good mentality, a good coach. It just it, you have to win tomorrow to prove to make a point, and then possibly you know go on a run. You have the Champions League, you have uh, more Serie A games than there is the Coppa Italia. Right. So you know it's it's all for the taking tomorrow. Yeah, it, it's a big match. Um, I don't even know if I want to make a prediction because I'm so scared of it going one way or the other. Um, yeah. What I mean, what do you think, prediction-wise? Uh, it's going to be a very gritty game. I think a, a two-one, um, one way or another. I wouldn't. I can't say the winner. I just, I just feel it's going to be very close, very gritty. The the derby always seems to be two to one, two to zero. Obviously, we had the 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 four goals not so long ago for Roma, but that is such a rarity. Um, I'll be curious to see with, with this formation for me. You know, putting Florenzi and Santana out there, uh, Santana right back, Florenzi in attack. I almost wonder if maybe, maybe Di Francesco is trying to keep it level going into halftime and then maybe take his chances with Clive or Under or Schick coming off the bench. Um, possibly. It just, possibly, it just yeah. seems like, uh, uh, you know, a Sharawi Pastore Florenzi, that seems like an extremely conservative approach in attack. So I, I'll be curious to see how that functions, but. Uh, I, I don't want to say one way or the other. I do think it'll be two to one. So um, hope, hopefully Roma are the ones who come out on top of that. Yes. So, yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. We will be talking after the Derby. Hopefully it, it, it goes positively. We will, again, keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. So we will leave it there. Thanks again, Andy. Um, and we'll have you back on to discuss. Uh, after the match against Lazio. So now I just want to jump right back into it with uh, David Amoyal. Again, you can find him at David Amoyal on Twitter. You can find him at the Couchland Podcast. He runs Gianluca De Marzio's English site. You can also find him on ESPN, Euro Fantasy League, a variety of places. So uh, let's get into it now with David. Okay, David is with me now, and we're going to sort of go away from the actual results and get a little more into the off the pitch uh, slash transfer dealings. David, how are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, fantastic to be on your podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, obviously an extremely difficult moment right now for Roma. Um, What are your initial thoughts on this initial period? So my thought is Roma after the Champions League semifinal, I kind of see some people saw that as an opportunity for Roma to maybe consolidate and take the next step forward. 
And another approach was, you know, we're not going to be able to beat Juve anyways, so let's try to take maybe a slight step back in the short term to take two forward uh, when Juve hopefully is tailing off. Now, part of that plan, you know, was the hope for the stadium and whatnot. But I think a big problem is that not a lot of people realize how dire Roma's financial situation is in general. I think, you know, there's this narrative that you read about all this money they made in the Champions League, which they did last year by making the semifinal. You see all these players being sold. So, you know, there's this narrative that's pretty easy to get into if you don't really take the time to look at the financials to say, well, you know, everything should be pointing up when it's maybe not that simple. So I can kind of see a big disconnect between a narrative that's very easy to make and maybe a more dire financial situation. Yeah, so one of the reasons I wanted to have you on was, A, you deal a lot with the transfer market, but also you're very familiar with finance just in general. Um, and so you just mentioned it right there. You have expectations relative to what the actual situation is. Now, you you mentioned how people were looking to maybe build upon what they achieved in the Champions League this past summer and essentially what most fans were treated to was the same old Allison sold for a huge plus Valenza. Yeah. Uh, you also had the likes of Strootman, Nangolan leave, but in your opinion, I, you know, of consequence, I really think only the Allison one is the biggest loss because anybody who watched Roma last season, I mean, wouldn't you concur that Nangolan Strootman were pretty poor, to say the least? Yeah, I uh, I certainly agree with that. I think, you know, they were still pretty big brand names. You know, they still had a reputation that maybe, not, I'll take away the maybe, that exceeded their performances for at least a year maybe two, especially in Strutman's case. Uh, I think he just wasn't the same player. Now, you know, I, I think maybe what's underestimated for people like you and me who maybe didn't rate him that much as players is maybe the leadership or even the confidence sure, sure. that the other players had having them as teammates on the pitch. And I have to say, I maybe underrated that. I think the Allison one is very significant and I think, you know, more than the new players struggling because they did, the defense has just been shockingly bad. And I wonder how much Allison last year, you know, was maybe overcoming that. I mean, both you and I, you know, rated him as the best keeper at Serie A. I don't think there was any doubt, but maybe he was even better than that. Olsen's been, you know, pretty significant drop-off. Maybe he hasn't been as bad as he's been made out to be. But uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Allison, I think, maybe overcame a lot of that. And maybe me as a pundit and other people maybe underestimated the impact psychologically of losing Nangolan and Schrutman. Sure. So, I, you know, one thing I think that a lot of people fail to really consider is the entire financial situation. And if you could just provide some insight... Because I shout it all the time, and I just it gets to the point where I'm beating a dead horse, and people, I guess, just don't believe me. But you're from Boston. You, I mean, you're very familiar with Palotta, what he's done with the club. I mean, I don't think people realize how close to the brink of non-existence Roma were before he stepped in. 
Yeah, and again, I go back to the fact that I totally get how it's a very easy narrative to say, okay, they've sold all these players. We've seen, you know, all the lineups of the former Roma players that have been gone, uh, most of them under Palotta's reign. And then you see all the money that came in for the Champions League. Now, the revenues for Champions League really only help in one fiscal year. It's kind of a one-shot deal. So I, I totally get how the narrative, you're like, geez, this American owner is just selling all the players. I see a lot of people tweeting, why isn't he investing money in the club? And it's like, if you actually take some time to look at the financials and maybe do a little bit more research, like he's often pumped in a lot of his own money uh, into the club. Now, it's not in the transfer market. It's to, you know, it, in Italy, they're called aumenti di capitale. It's when there has to be a cash injection right. to make up for the losses. And he's done very significantly. I was reading this article that you retweeted, uh, I think it was last week. You know, he's anticipated over 90 million, you know, essentially of his own money and other investors, you know, to cover potential losses so i think he's definitely a victim of like these narratives that again they're very easy to spin and he's just inherited a big mess and you got to wonder you know how many more times is he going to be willing to put in money into roma especially with so much uncertainty with the stadium so uh the champ qualifying for the champions league is almost like a life jacket that roma absolutely needs to get every year uh you know it's very dire if that doesn't happen uh so i just think people just don't understand how much palotta has invested you just don't see it in transfers and you know in a way i i totally get why he's criticized and i think you know i know you do a very good job of putting this information out there and you know me and other people that cover Serie A and that understand a little bit the financial aspect need to do a better job of trying to end this false narrative yeah and sometimes I get called a, a kiss ass or an apologist because I do this but I I mean you're doing yourself people a mi- actually read all your tweets you're far from yeah I, but you know i i just think people do such a massive disservice to themselves when they like you said it's easy to 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 see the narrative of them selling players and sort of just run with it that he doesn't care about the club and you're in finance can you please just spell this out that okay so i've gotten this tweet at least five to six times well, they've earned two hundred million in plus Valenza from selling two players, and then they got a hundred million from the Champions. Like, why can't that just? Um, why can't they just put all that towards their debts? To their debts, and I'm like, it doesn't work like that. It it just it doesn't work like that. Yeah, well, especially because those two revenues that you described, you know, money you make on the transfer market on a plus Valenza and Champions, like I mentioned earlier, that goes into just one fiscal year. And people aren't accounting for all the expenses that Roma has exactly. on top of that. So I think, you know, it's kind of like the time frame of it, like uh, revenues like that are just a one-year shot type of deal, while Roma has a lot of bigger long-term problems. So it's not quite that simple. And even with this big aumento di capitale where Palotta put in basically anticipated $90 million out of his own money, that's just to keep Roma afloat. I mean, that's not to solve the problem. I mean, things could really come to a head if the season really goes south and they don't make the Champions League. Uh, then they'll be in a really difficult situation. So, yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, I don't blame fans. You know, this isn't uh, the financial aspect. It's definitely more complicated. You have to have patience and try 
to understand it, and it's much easier to read a tweet out there from someone that maybe doesn't understand the background than to read a longer article uh, breaking down all these stuff. So I understand why fans uh, fall into this trap. Um, so this is why I'm glad we're doing this podcast, too, to maybe try to explain it a little bit more. Yeah, and I think, too, it's like, you know, a club has more cost than simply player transactions. Just because they make money from a player transaction doesn't mean that that cures the overall, you know, debts of the club. I mean, they have operating costs. They have employees. Yeah. I mean, Roma didn't even own their training ground with Palota acquired the team so he had to pay for that and it's things like that it's you know i i think it really does go unnoticed and you know people really do complain a lot about him but i i i throw it out there all the time but it's like would you rather not have him and see where they'd be i mean they're doing well now but look at what milan have been in the last three to five years i mean they've been a mess and Roma, too, you know, uh, they do have one of the highest payrolls still in Serie A. You know, gross wages, I think, are around $100 million, which is, you know, significant. Then there's the player amortization. They, you know, they, everyone talks about the big sales that Roma has done, but they've also spent significantly on some players. I mean, Patrick Schick was one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive, purchase in the club's history. They unfortunately, I haven't gotten much return for that. So I think it's a lot easier to just point to the players that have been gone, but they've also spent significantly. I mean, Zonzi wasn't cheap either. Cristante wasn't a cheap player. So I think, you know, uh, you look at Pastore, you know, he has pretty significant wages. So you kind of have to look at the whole picture. It's not quite simple. I think it's just much easier to point to the big sales without looking at what else has been invested in the club as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's going to be it for now. So, David, thank you so much. Again, everyone, you can find him at DiMarzio's English page, the Calcio Land podcast, the Athletic Soccer, ESPN. He also appears on TalkSport and Sirius. David, thanks so much again. It was great to have you on. Uh, always a pleasure to be on, John. Keep up the great work. I love your podcast. Awesome. Thanks, David. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you again for listening, supporting. This would not be possible without you guys at all. So, again, thank you so much for the support. Uh, let's keep our fingers crossed for the Derby tomorrow. Uh, Roma definitely need it, and hopefully we can get three points and look forward to the Champions League match. So, uh, again, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Forza Roma. Ciao.